All right, amen. Uh, what a beautiful song. Uh, it is finished. Once and for all, once and for all, you offered up your life. Are you thankful for that this morning? Well, we are thankful that you have uh, made it a priority this morning to join with us via live stream for our Liberty Hills Bible Church Easter service, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, we enjoyed, uh, I think for the first time in a long time, uh, sharing some time together on Friday for a Good Friday service as we commemorated and remembered the resur- or excuse me, the crucifixion of Christ. And now uh, we have made it to Sunday and uh, we are looking forward to uh, now sharing with you the title of this morning's message, The Implications of an Empty Tomb and a, and a Risen Savior. But before we dive into really too much of uh, this resurrection account, um, I wanted to just tee up some context for us. Uh, again, some of that context will help us uh, with understanding really a lot of the relevance, not only of the crucifixion, but now also the resurrection, not just as a event that happened and is recorded in scripture, but it will help us understand the relevance to our own personal life. And that's always my hope and my prayer is that uh, we won't just uh, sit through another sermon by way of vain repetition, because that's what we do on a Sunday morning, but rather we are coming with an engaged mind and heart and a desire to um, have the Holy Spirit work in our midst uh, so that he could change us and mold us into what he would have us to be. And so this morning um, on Resurrection Sunday, it's a reminder that every Sunday that we gather uh, previously physically, but also now in this virtual or remote state, we celebrate the resurrection um, every Sunday. Uh, that's why we, we gather. We gather because the tomb is empty. We gather because he has risen. We gather because he has defeated sin, death, and hell. And as a result, we have hope for this life and the life to come. And so uh, this really is an extension of, of every Sunday, but it's an opportunity for us to specifically commemorate what we have uh, come to know on our calendar as representing the the actual day that that Jesus Christ has risen from the tomb and from the grave. And so uh, w- with that context, it's also important for us to remember that uh, really the entire Bible, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament, um, were, were all coming together for this moment. You see, the Bible has a clear redemptive message, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, that was focusing on this Messiah, the chosen one. Um, and, and we have an opportunity as we gather together this morning remotely in, in your living rooms or wherever you might be to remember, to hit the pause button and remember the significance of the resurrection um, for our own personal lives. We have the opportunity even this morning Uh, as we gather to unearth the treasures of Christ in the pages of Scripture. We're going to look specifically in in John chapter number 20 and some other parallel passages this morning as we look at this resurrection account. But we have an opportunity, whether I'm preaching, whether you are listening, but all of us together as followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to really focus in and lean into this unified, story of this redemption 
that is offered through the person and work of Jesus Christ, both in his crucifixion on Friday and now in his resurrection on Sunday. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus and Jesus alone is the hero of the story here. He is the only perfect, spotless lamb of God who was worthy and able to do this work and accomplish what was truly accomplished uh, through his death and through his resurrection. So uh, as we remember this messianic message, this story, could throw at Jesus and ultimately at us, which was what? It was death. It was crucifixion on the cross. It was what Satan had thought was a victory, was short-lived. Why? Because the best that Satan could throw at Jesus was ultimately defeated. It wasn't good enough. And Jesus did raise from the dead on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. And this morning, we have an opportunity to celebrate that. So again, before we dive into this creation account, uh, I want us to remember that um, we have the disciples here at a very raw and difficult state, right? What what were they uh, dealing with, right? They find themselves emotionally and spiritually defeated. At this point, there was no doubt they would have had a spirit of almost defeatism about them, right? The excitement and the joy of following a risen Savior probably at this point would have fallen along the wayside, the glamour, if you will, of the buzz of of Jesus' signs and miracles and wonders, those would have, again, fallen along the wayside. And the reality would have set in that Jesus had been taken. They experienced the the shame of uh, Christ being humiliated and mocked and labeled a simple common criminal crucified and his spirit was ultimately given up by himself as he cries out to the Lord, it is finished, right? His blood being shed to atone for the sins of the world, that work had been done. But in the eyes of the disciples, their road had come to an end. They were at the end of their rope, so to speak. And ultimately they were left with feelings of uncertainty, feelings of fear. This resurrection account, we see that the disciples are locked behind a door, huddled in together as they are ultimately fearful of their lives, fearing that ultimately the same death that Jesus endured on the cross would be potentially their same demise. So in their perspective, 
they're emotionally and spiritually defeated. They've given up everything to follow Christ, their jobs, their families. They've left everything. They have now nothing. Have they uh, been, uh, been shammed by some religious con artist in the personal work of Jesus? Have they uh, followed after a fairy tale that was no longer real? And in this wake of uncertainty between death on the cross and this resurrection account here on Sunday, the disciples and his followers are left very, very fearful. They're lost. They're hopeless. They're grasping for answers. And ultimately, the disciples are simply looking for a path forward. The disciples at this point are not looking for the resurrection. They're simply trying to avoid public humiliation and ridicule. They're trying to figure out how do they transition from giving up everything and uh, unabashedly following Jesus Christ to now being gripped with this reality that everything that they have lived for is now lost. It's gone. So this is the context that we find ourselves on this resurrection Sunday. Doubt, fear, uncertainty. So here in this Passion Week of Christ on Sunday, we arrive at the scene of this a tombstone that is rolled away. We have the body of Jesus Christ, as recorded in Scripture, is no longer in the tomb. Those linen cloths are, are laying just as they would be. And um, the, uh, the cloth that would have been over the face of Jesus was neatly folded up there in the tomb. and. Again, they have improper conclusions initially about this empty tomb. And so we're uh, going to look at John chapter number 20 this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there. I'm going to read just the first few verses to give us uh, this story of the resurrection. And then we're going to make some comments about its implications on our own personal life right now. Uh, today. And so would you follow with me as I read John chapter number 20, verse number one. Now, on this first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Verse three, so Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths laying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head not laying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Verse number 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. You see, these misguided conclusions about where Jesus' body went. And ultimately, we see that these conclusions that they came to, they were conclusions that continued to follow this line of being defeated and hopeless. And their response to the empty tomb initially was what? They decided simply to go 
back to their homes, again, believing that the body of Jesus had simply been taken away. So there is, for us and for them today, there is so much writing on the validity and the truthfulness of this resurrection. I think that's important for us to remember and to note. What is writing on the validity and truthfulness of this doctrine and belief and this truth of the resurrection that we celebrate on this day? Eternal life certainly hangs on the belief of the resurrection. Really, when you think about it, all the tendons of Christian doctrine, the virgin birth of Jesus, the sinlessness of Christ, his sign, miracles, and wonders, and ultimately his substitutionary death that we talked about just a couple days ago, all of that mean absolutely nothing if Jesus does not rise up from the grave in a true, literal, bodily resurrection. You see, the the fact and the truthfulness of this account of Jesus not staying in the tomb, that his body wasn't just robbed away and placed somewhere else, but the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and hell, there is so much for our Christian faith that ultimately rides on the accuracy of this account. And so what do we have? We have here in, in, in Scripture. Through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have a number of eyewitness accounts, right? We have Mary, and ultimately in parallel passages, we have a number of other women that would be gathered together with uh, her who have gone to the tomb ultimately to continue to prepare uh, Jesus' body for, uh, for burial. Uh, this was rushed and some things may not have been done completely. So they're going back to the tomb, potentially also even to complete just uh, the ritual of mourning over the death of Jesus Christ. And so we have these early eyewitnesses accounts, and then we have Peter and the beloved disciple. And then ultimately, Jesus will reveal himself to Mary Magdalene and also to the rest of the disciples and, and to some other followers as well. And so it's important for us to remember that the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just a story in a book, but rather it is a historically relevant and accurate event that really took place. Ultimately, scores of people were able to not just see, but interact with Jesus in his post-resurrected body. And what does that do for us? It gives us hope. Right, that we haven't been uh, had the wool pulled over our eyes by some religious con artists, but rather hundreds and thousands of years later now, we can place our complete trust and confidence in this finished work of Christ, not just on the cross to shed his blood, but that he defeated sin, death, and hell in a real bodily resurrection on this day, leaving the tomb absolutely empty. So too many of us, I believe this morning, often myself included, need to remember. We need to be reminded of the implications of an empty tomb. We need to be reminded of the reality of a risen Savior. We need to stop reading much of the Bible as if it were just another nice little story of morality. And we need to wake up to the reality that there is a risen Savior. And as such, it changes everything. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it changes everything. My life, my relationship with God and others, it changes my family, my marriage. It changes how I interact within my job, my responses and reactions to my children, 
my thoughts and my choices on my free time. It ultimately changes every relationship that I have in my life today. You see, the resurrection touches it all. The resurrection changes how I view, how I spend my time, my money, my resources. You see, friends, the implications of an empty tomb are never ending because it truly does touch every facet of our life, but not just my life. The implications of the, of the resurrection have and continue to touch every facet of every life, past, present, and future. And friends, just like we called you to consider on Good Friday, who do you say that I am? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, demands a response. It demands a response for us today. And as such, the big idea of our message this morning on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, is this. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we can have hope. We can have hope in this life and the one to come. I'll read that one more time. The big idea of our message this morning is this. Because Jesus has risen from the dead, we can have hope in this life and the one to come. This is the basic premise of what the resurrection secures or the potential that it secures on our behalf is that we can have hope in a hopeless world. And we can have hope not just in this life, but we can have hope in the life to come. So as we work our way through this resurrection account this morning, by God's grace, we will attempt to build our case for why the resurrection matters, why it's still relevant, not just to those disciples and those followers then, but it's still relevant today and will always be in a timeless fashion relevant for every human that walks on this earth. The resurrection changes everything. So the resurrection of Jesus should ultimately remind us of many truths, but I'm going to point out specifically just three simple implications of an empty tomb this morning by way of reminders. And the first reminder is this, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our bodily death is not final. If there's anything that the resurrection of Jesus should remind us of, it is this, that our bodily death is not final. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 17, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, he says your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And because we know the resurrection of Jesus Christ did take place, and because we know the tomb is empty and Jesus has risen, that has incredible implications on my life. So why does the resurrection matter? What is its relevance to my life and the world that I live in? It matters because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, friends, myself and you and the entire world are still in our sin. And if myself and if you and the entire world, past, present, or future, are still in our sin, then we have a very bleak and hopeless future awaiting for us. Why? Because there is one absolute truth that no man can deny. And that truth is this, that all of us will at one point die. We cannot avoid death. We cannot bargain with death. We all 
at one point in our life are going to be confronted with the reality of death. That's a, a somber reality that uh, you may say, hey, we're supposed to be talking about life. This is Resurrection Sunday. But what does the resurrection point us to, to this reality that the life that we have does not end when we take our final breath on this world? But rather, there is a life to come called eternity. And we all will die someday, but we all will also spend eternity somewhere. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, verses 27 and 28, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. So it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Paul, continuing his commitment to this resurrection and it pointing us to the reality of eternity, he says in Acts number 17, chapter number 17, verses 30 and 31, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man that he has appointed? And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him, this righteous judge, by raising him from the dead. So friends, death is real, but it is not final, right? This is what the resurrection should remind us of. It should stir us up to this reality that when I take my final breath, that is not the end. It is really just the beginning. You see, God has ordained judgment by a righteous and risen judge, and that, friends, is real. It is real just as the resurrection, just as the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, just as real as the historicity of the person of Jesus as he walked and lived on this earth. There's coming a day where we will face a righteous judge. Whether at that point you believe the resurrection is real by evidence or whether it is relevant to your life at all, it's really not going to matter at that point. Why? Because God has given Jesus a name that is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father. So what does this matter? This resurrection, how does it impact our eternal standing before a holy God? It reminds us that Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, have not left us in our sin. They have not left us in that hopeless state, but rather they have given us away through Jesus Christ, that only begotten Son who went to the cross, shed his blood making atonement for the sins of the world. Paul speak to this, speaks to this reality in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See, for Paul, the resurrection was a game changer. It was resurrection power that was able to save a sinner from 
their eternal doom. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death that we all will face. We spoke to that. But this is also speaking to a, a spiritual death that results in a separation from God the Father for all eternity. For the wages, what we earn for our sin is death. The beautiful reality is that Jesus took our death, our shame, our sin to the cross. And Jesus is still in the business of drawing men to himself. And if we place our complete faith and trust by a gift of grace of God, if we place that faith in Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection from the tomb, then Paul says in Romans chapter 10 that we will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from eternal judgment and death, that separation from God for all eternity in a real little place called hell. The verse doesn't stop there in Romans chapter six, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, friends, there's a thief, John 10 tells us, that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says in in John 10 that he has come, that we would have life and that we would have it more abundantly. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead reminds us of the soberness of death, that none of us can escape it, but we can, through the work of Jesus Christ, receive eternal life in the days to come. So the resurrection for Paul was absolutely a game changer. It was salvific power. The power that was to raise Jesus literally and physically and bodily from the dead is the same power that can save us, that can turn us from darkness into light, that can adopt us into his family out of the family and the child of disobedience, as we looked at even on Friday, as Ephesians uh, calls us. So on the basis of faith in Christ as Savior and Lord, The resurrection of Jesus Christ really sets Christianity apart from all other world religions, right? And this uh, truth is relative and and all paths kind of lead to the same destination. We're reminded ultimately that Muhammad is dead. Confucius is dead. Buddha is dead. Krishna of Hinduism is dead. There is only one risen savior, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So God has chosen in his wisdom to allow the most significant event in history to be recorded right here in the pages of scripture in the gospel accounts. And really, it's interesting as we look through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John's account, there's uh, a number of different nuances about this uh, resurrection account. And ultimately, um, even the rest of the epistles and the New Testament even look back to the resurrection as having eternal significance. Peter, in his message to the Gentiles there in, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, reminds us this, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on the tree. That's Good Friday. But God 
raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Right? This is Resurrection Sunday, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Real eyewitness accounts. Peter goes on in Acts chapter number 10. He says this, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our bodily death is not final. There is eternity to come, friends, and we must come to grips with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and considering our own standing before a holy and righteous God. The second implication by way of reminder is this, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our earthly suffering is not forever. Our earthly suffering is not forever. And this is a sobering reality also right now as we consider the days that we live in. Um, this point came to mind as I was reading through this resurrection account, specifically in uh, the Gospel of John, reading about Mary's struggle um, that she was going through, the emotional, the spiritual, uh, the fear that the disciples um, were, were ultimately going to experience. Uh, we know that really all the apostles ultimately would, uh, their life would come to an end because of following Christ and ultimately preaching his death and, and resurrection. They would be martyred uh, because of their faith in Jesus. And so the resurrection reminds us that our earthly suffering is not forever. And this day we live in right now with this uh, coronavirus, we know that it in some way or form is impacting all of our lives to some degree. Um, to some, it's, it might just be a mere inconvenience. Um, I can't go here. I, I can't do an activity that, uh, that I would like to do. For others right now, they are being confronted with real suffering, maybe the loss of a job, unpaid bills, uh, certainly um, because of that, there may be uh, uncertainty around uh, the provision of food and basic shelter may even be a stake. And others might literally be um, suffering the physical affliction of this virus or, quite frankly, some other terminal diagnosis. Is, uh, as I'm even thinking right now, a number of names, a handful of names come to mind that are, that are battling uh, physical suffering right now. And the beautiful thing about the resurrection is that it reminds us that our earthly suffering is not forever. Whatever affliction, whether it be a coronavirus, whether it be a, a terminal diagnosis of, of cancer, whether it be a, a, finite, a financial hardship, whether it be a relational turmoil or unrest that you might be battling through right now, the resurrection reminds us that our earthly suffering is not forever. I love that Psalm 73, verse number 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That resurrection hope, this reality that Jesus has defeated sin, death, and hell, and hell is our strength. It is our portion. It is our hope that we can anchor our uncertainty 
So we can cry out to God and we can say, Father, help our unbelief as we're confronted with our present circumstances and the uncertainty of what those circumstances mean in our life. That, that is real. That is heavy. That is difficult to navigate through. But the resurrection allows the fog of that uncertainty to part and for us to fix our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. We can press on and we can live another day for the glory of God. And we can face, whether it be a, a, a spiritual or a physical affliction, we can face that with hope, knowing that we have a friend that is sticking closer than a brother, that we have uh, a, a, a hope in the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the comforter that will help us and guide us through those uncertain and difficult times from a Christian living perspective. Even as we're reminded that our earthly suffering is not forever. Do you ever feel weary because of sin? If you remember back uh, in Romans, really chapter six, seven, and eight, Paul uh, kind of resonates with the struggle of sin and and he calls out, hey, the good things that I know I, I'm supposed to be doing, uh, I'm not doing. The wrong things that I know I'm not supposed to be doing. The Apostle Paul says, those are the things that I'm finding myself doing. And, and he's frustrated and he calls out almost in desperation, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ, you see, is the resurrection that gives us hope that our present suffering is not forever. Our struggle, our battle, even with sin, is not forever. There will be a day where we will uh, put off this flesh that we have been bound with this side of eternity. And when Jesus comes back, we will be given a glorified body and we will be free from the stranglehold of sin, and we can experience victory every waking moment of our life. Will you be looking forward to that day where we can put off sin? And we can live in the hope of Christ in full reality for all eternity with him in heaven. So ultimately, the disciples, Mary Magdalene, those that are represented in these eyewitness accounts here in these uh, pages of the gospel, uh, really, we're going to see them turn from the depths of despair in the aftermath of this crucifixion scene. And ultimately, we're going to see them journey through them, seen with their eyes and through the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ himself speaking into their lives. Uh, they're going to see him for who he is, the resurrected Lord, the risen Savior. And at that point, their sorrow is going to be turned to joy. And their fear and uncertainty is going to be turned to saving faith. And we probably see this, in my opinion, uh, best represented in the life of Mary Magdalene. As we see her in John chapter number 20, we see her despair turned to hope. Look with me in verse number two of chapter 20. She says, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Jump with me down to verse number 11. But Mary stood, stood weeping outside the tomb. Literally, this word weeping has the idea of welling. She is completely distraught. She is in despair. Um, they, where have they 
taken the body of her Lord. It goes on in verse number 12. And she saw, she went into the tomb and saw then at that point, two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned at that moment and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So ultimately, we see that uh, Mary is turned from despair to the hope. How? As a result of seeing the risen Lord. And not only just seeing the risen Lord, but Jesus called her by name. And it was really at that moment that she realized that Jesus right there in the tomb was whom he said he was. It was, it was Jesus. What did she do? She, she responded rightly and, and, and fell to his, his feet and, and clung to him. But ultimately, there's this reality that because Mary saw Jesus, it changed her forever. I think of the old hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Do you remember the words of that old hymn? It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It is only the grace of God that gives us eyes to see the resurrected Lord. I can't do that on my own can't conjure that up in my own strength and understanding and wisdom. Friends, we need the grace of God to show us the risen Savior. We need the grace of God as a result uh, to allow these implications of a risen Savior in an empty tomb to resonate in our heart, in our life, so that it changes us like it ultimately changed Mary of Magdalene. So the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that our bodily death is not final. Secondly, it reminds us that our earthly suffering is not forever. And, and the final reminder is this. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us of a present and future hope that will not fail. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us of a present and future hope that will not fail. It's interesting in these resurrection accounts, the transformation that takes place, that we can see a life like Mary that went from complete desperation, distraught, wailing, and weeping at the uncertainty of the circumstances that she was experiencing, that as a result of seeing Jesus, this incredible transformation that takes place in their life. The disciples being locked behind door in fear of 
the Jews. Read me in verse number 19 of chapter 20 on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus now will reveal himself to the disciples and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see, as a result of seeing the risen Lord, there is an immediate hope that is experienced in the life of this individual. It's also interesting that this hope apparently was not just intended for those immediate eyewitnesses, but it was also intended for others as well. We see this in both Jesus' interaction with Mary. What did he tell Mary to do? Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What did Jesus tell to the disciples in verse number 21 of chapter 20? Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You see, Jesus is offering hope to these initial group of Christ followers, of disciples, but he's also offering that same hope and message to us. Now, spanning all these number of years, spanning time to us today, Christ followers of the same Lord, of the same God, Jesus says, but go. In verse number 16 to Mary, this is the mission. Go, go to my brothers. Jesus says to his disciples, just as God sent me, so I am sending you. So Jesus says to go, but he also tells Mary to say, this is the means. There's a a proclamation that Jesus has risen. He is no longer dead. He is no longer defeated. He is no longer in the tomb. What is he to say? And that I am ascending to the Father. There's a, there's a mission, there's a means, the proclamation, the declaration of the resurrection. But thirdly, there's also a message. And the message is this, I have seen the Lord. This is a simple testimony of what Mary experienced. The testimony, the reality that she has seen the risen Lord. And this is the message that Mary called her to share with the disciples. And this is the message that God through Jesus gave to the disciples that they have what? They have seen the Lord. And this is the message that he gives us even today for us as Christ followers. Look at me in Matthew chapter number 28. Turn with me over there. Matthew chapter number 28. Verse number nine says this, and behold, Matthew 28, verse number nine, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Jump down to verse number 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Again, this is the post-resurrected Jesus. He's 
displayed himself to the disciples. He's told them to go to Galilee and that now he is meeting them right there where he said he would. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus Christ met them in Galilee. Some worshiped him immediately, but what do we also see a response in verse number 17? But some doubted. Some doubted even at this moment, seeing face to face the resurrected Lord at that moment in their frail human mind, they still were battling and gripping with the uncertainty of what the days were going to look like to come. But some doubted. Can you resonate with that? Because my faith isn't perfect, but I'm thankful that I have a savior who will hold me fast, that will help my unbelief. I love this account in Luke chapter number 22, verses 31 and 32. This is where Jesus is foretelling the denial of Peter. He says, um, uh, but I have prayed for you. Satan has demanded to have you, he says in verse 31, that I that he may sift you like wheat. But I, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brothers. You see, friends, when we are in Christ, when we have seen the risen Lord and by his grace, we respond in faith, our faith will never fail. You see, we've been given a present hope to get us through the suffering and the difficult of our present circumstances. But we've also, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've been given a future hope that our faith in him will not fail. And he will hold us in his hand and no man can pluck us out. So where does he anchor their doubt in? He doesn't rebuke their doubt. He doesn't chastise their doubt and their fear. He simply points them back to himself. He anchors their doubt in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations teaching them observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always. It's here that Jesus is starting to remind the disciples of this idea that although he is leaving them physically and earthly, they're going to lack absolutely nothing. Jesus reminds them that he has chosen them. He has equipped them and ultimately he will be with them. How often will he be with them? Do you see it there? Verse number 20, I am with you always. So what now? The disciples then, and and certainly us today, we are confronted with the real implications of an empty tomb. Jesus' call to them to go and to speak the, the message of the risen Lord continues on through us today. There's a world out there, friends. This is the implication of an empty tomb. There's a world out there, one that Jesus has called us to. Not away from, but Jesus has called us to the world with this message and hope that Jesus has risen from the dead. This world needs to know that we, too, have seen the risen Lord. 
So the question for us, the implications of a risen Lord is this, will we take the message of Jesus, his person and his work? Will we take the message of eternal life, the message of abundant life? Will we take that to the world that is lost and dying without hope every single day? Will we, like the disciples, sit behind locked, closed doors, busy with our comfortable Western version of Christianity? Or will we truly understand the implications of an empty tomb and go into the world and preach that he has risen? Friends, this is the message and the hope that we have on this Resurrection Sunday. And my hope and my prayer is that you will be confronted with your standing before a holy God. And that as you look into this empty tomb through the pages of scripture, what will your conclusion be about who Jesus is and ultimately what he desires from you? See, Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. And maybe this morning for the first time ever, You've been confronted with the reality of your sin and the penalty that that sin demands, which is eternity in hell. Maybe for this first time on on Easter Sunday, you've seen Jesus for what he really is. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who is prophesied of old, and he alone, the spotless, perfect lamb of God, has given his life for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself today, and you might have some questions. We would love to take God's word and walk you through the plan of salvation as recorded and revealed in scripture. And as the Holy Spirit works in your life, maybe today would be the day of your salvation. If that is you, we would encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us uh, via social media on, on Facebook. You can private message our public page. You could also reach out to us via email at info at libertyhillsbible.org. And we would love to continue to share with you the good news that Jesus saves. And so friends, this morning in a world that has no hope, we have been given hope through an empty tomb, through a risen Lord. And this truly is good news. And it is what we celebrate on this morning, Resurrection Sunday. Would you join me as we close in a word of prayer uh, this morning? And uh, we're going to share one more song together, and uh, then we'll have a closing word of commission through uh, a select scripture reading. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are God, that you are on your throne. We thank you that you have defeated sin, death, and hell, and that is good news, and that is hope for us today. I don't know what others may be experiencing, I don't know what they're going through in their own life, whether they're struggling with doubt or uncertainty or whatever it might be. But Father, you want to meet them right where they're at in the messiness of weeping and uncertainty and fear and anxieties. Um, You want to meet us right there with your message of hope. And so, Father, I pray that you would do the work that I can't, that I cannot do, that you would plant water and that you would give increase to your word. We claim the promise that as your word goes out, it will never return void, but it will always accomplish the thing that you have sent it to do. And so, Father, we thank you for a risen Savior. We thank you for an empty tomb. 
this morning. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen.